Sometimes when we think about the idea of a calling on our lives, we can think about um, a set of duties and responsibilities. Uh, We can almost think about our calling sometimes like an assignment. And when we think about it like an assignment, there are times when that assignment is a delight, and there are times when we fall back on perseverance, persistence. There are times when it's tough. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said about his own preaching assignment, he said, if I preach the gospel willingly, I have a reward. But if I do it out of duty, I'm simply discharging my responsibilities faithfully. There's an interest, that's an interesting, isn't it? So there's, just because he's being faithful to his calling doesn't mean he's being as faithful to his calling as he could be. So I want to talk about a word that I think is really special, that keeps us serving at that high level, that keeps us in our faith, enjoying God at the high level, instead of kind of sinking down to merely doing what we must to stay faithful. Does that make any sense? And the word is curiosity. Sometimes I think the word curiosity is actually more important than the word calling. When we keep about us an inquisitive heart, the willingness to go on journey, the refusal to accept the idea that somehow I know what I need to know, there's good contentment, isn't there? Godliness with contentment is much gain. And then there's bad contentment. Bad contentment says, I know what I need to know, so I'm going to camp here. And there's something really dangerous over time about camping too long on what you think you know. 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says that the one who thinks they know doesn't yet know what they ought to know. Maybe a different paraphrase of that is, if you're a little too sure of your expertise, you stop learning. There's an interesting passage in Jeremiah chapter 9 where God says basically you could, if you're strong, don't boast about that. If you're smart, don't boast about that. If you're wealthy, don't boast about that. But there's really only one thing worth boasting about. And that's that you know me. And that kind of know is not mastery of a subject, is it? It's intimacy with a person. And it's intimacy with a person that is not a subject matter. I think it's fascinating. Madeline Langle is one of my just beloved heroes, uh, author, and a saint. And I ha- I'm not going to call her a Christian author. I wouldn't do her that disservice. She's an author. I wouldn't call her a Christian artist. That would be sad. She's an artist. Do you know? Well, you probably don't know what I mean by not affixing that. Christian artist kind of limits themselves to talking about things that supposedly are Christian. But an artist loves truth, wherever it may be. Right? I actually don't think there's such a thing as Christian art. I think that's weird. 
There's just good art and bad art. And good art tells the truth or speaks to the deep truth. But anyway, Madeline, she says, um, in her journey of faith, she often discovered that scientists had more of a sense of childlike wonder toward the world than theologians. She often discovered that theologians, who should have the most wonder, the most awe, the most inquisitive nature, the most openness to the universe, the most excitement to be alive on God's planet that's filled with his glory and every blade of grass is like singing hallelujah if you have ears to hear, you would think the theologians would be the ones with the hearts wide awake. And what she found was that the theologians were the ones certain of their little system of belief and angry at anyone who would question it and spending their days Not asking questions, but defending answers. Not going on journey, but trying to get others to see what they already think is superior. And she found scientists who often didn't have any faith in God had a much hungrier heart and a deeper sense of awe and wonder towards, oh, look, it's a snail. I wonder how old the universe is. How does gravity work? How did we get here? There was experimentation, there was exploration, there was pioneering, and there was the willingness to test everything you think you know against the evidence and keep learning. How are we tracking? Isn't that surprising? Kind of a, yeah. So Madeline says, the scientists exhibited more of a healthy childlike faith, not that they actually had faith in God, but they had a healthier view toward truth than the theologians. That's, that's weird. That's weird. I wonder if you can recognize in your own life seasons when you maybe have had questions. Because what I'm talking about is not always just like a happy sense of childlike wonder, although that's cool. But sometimes the thing that that keeps you inquisitive is not a happy question, but a question that lodges in your spirit and you can't shake it. An unsettled season. Sometimes we might even call those things doubts. And if we've been wrongly trained to think of doubts the way that, that doubts and unbelief are equivalent, we might feel bad for having these questions. But doubt is no more sinful spiritually than hunger is sinful physically. Unbelief is sinful. Unbelief is a hardening of one's heart and a turning away from the voice of the Lord. But doubt is, is an awareness, a kind of pain saying, feed me truth. In the same way that hunger says, feed me food. Doubt And questions are intended to dislodge us from our settled place and send us on a journey of discovery. Now, when that happens, you might find that your questions, that someone around you simply tries to answer your questions. But there are questions we're meant to live with that Google isn't meant to answer and that your pastor isn't meant to answer. And that an author that has written a book isn't meant to answer. There are questions that your pastor is meant to provoke. And your pastor is meant to affirm. 
Not answer, but affirm. I'm not here to relieve your tension and give you the answer. I'm here to affirm the question and send you on a journey of discovery of who God is, what life is for, what your life is for. My wife's going through one of these seasons right now. She's digging real deep, trying to find answers. First, it started out as wanting to learn how to pray for the sick, and then it got all the way to questions like, what did Jesus need to die to do? And how does the cross work? And I love it because the standard answers are no longer satisfying her, and my answers aren't satisfying her. I started to say, oh, I'm so glad you're asking this question. When I was asking this same question, here's the stuff I found helpful, and it was like, All of a sudden, I realized, what am I doing trying to stop her from the journey? Now, I can share my story with her. If it's helpful, great. But my answers are precious because they came in relationship to God with my questions. And she's digging in her Bible and digging in John Wimber and digging in, I don't even know what all she's digging in, but she's puzzling and she's got a furrowed brow look on her face and it's like after all the other things she's doing with home life she sits in this chair and gathers her bible and this notebook this notebook she found by the way as an answer to prayer it's filled with curry blake and and dan moeller and other people's quotes this is whole seminary book carrie doesn't ever want to preach hi carrie you're back there behind the glass she doesn't ever want to preach but i wish she would anyway she lost this notepad And she's been praying and praying for months, probably years, saying, Father, I really want that notebook that I wrote all those notes in. I really want that notebook. We cleaned behind the red couch in the living room the other day, and she found it, and she was so overjoyed. And finding that notebook seemed to, like, spur her on this journey. She started to reread stuff that touched her before, and she's digging, and she's praying, and she's questioning. Now, here's what I know. Anytime that I've had a season of questioning or curiosity or interest or just a season of digging. Maybe digging is the right word. Again, it can be out of the joy of, that's amazing, I want to know more. Or it can be out of the hunger of, I don't understand. I've got, I'm bothered by this. I have, it's almost like I have to balance this equation. And God's not an equation, but guess what? He loves to hide himself You guys know the verse I'm about to quote? I praise you, Father. At at that time, Jesus praised the Father in a loud voice, and he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden yourself from the wise and learned and revealed yourself to little children. Indeed, this was your good pleasure. Translation, it made you happy. God likes to hide himself from experts and reveal himself to people who have an inquisitive heart, who live with a sense of curiosity. Isn't that interesting? So I don't even think of our job, my job here at church is to get you to think what I think. I would like that because I like what I think, just like you like what you think, right? Am I right? Brian Zook quote of the, of the week is, 100% of the time, 100% of the people have an opinion. <laughs> Even if it's, I'm not sure, it counts as an opinion. But every time we go on one of these seasons of discovery, these seasons of journey, you know what those seasons are? 
Those are seasons of growth. Those are seasons of digging. Those are seasons where we're learning more about God and his character and his nature and his word. We're learning about prayer. We're learning, whatever the issue is, we're learning. And if we're learning, we're moving. One of the things the Lord told me a while back is, add to your faith. Don't subtract. You know, Peter lists off all these virtues, add to your faith this, and then that, and then this, and then this, and then this. And the Lord said, add to your faith, don't subtract. And instantly I knew what he meant. What he meant was, oftentimes, when someone learns something about me, instead of adding it to what they've already learned thus far, they use what they're learning now to criticize what they have learned before. So they're always switching out what's in their treasure chest. Oh, these old treasures, are, oh man, that's garbage. Or they get angry at the people who didn't teach them the thing the Lord's teaching them now. And the Lord said, don't do that. Add to your faith, don't subtract. Nothing I'm doing in this season of your life is meant to undermine what I've been saying and doing in a previous season of your life. I had a friend who came from a non-charismatic background And when she experienced and learned some of these more charismatic aspects of the New Testament, New Covenant life, she was like, what have I been doing wasting my life? She got angry at the church that she used to go to. And I was like, don't do that. The church you used to go to has incredible biblical strength. There's a grace of the Holy Spirit on them. And they've trained you in some amazing things that probably they're way better at than us. Instead of subtracting, Add. Okay. So when we go through these, these seasons of journey and, journeying and discovering and staying curious, we're digging, we're learning, we're growing. And it doesn't feel like that necessarily in those moments. Later on, we look back on those seasons and we go, man, I was, I was going for it. But at the time, you feel relatively normal, but you know you're hunting for something. And here's what I've seen in my own life. I tend to, to dig deep for a season And then I tend to try to find a way now to apply for a while what I've discovered in this season. In other words, I don't don't necessarily live my life down down the diamond mine. I live my life above ground, but there are seasons when you'll see me disappear down the mine. And I'll hopefully come out with something good. But I wonder sometimes if we don't need to be shaken loose and sent on a journey a little bit more often than we're inclined to. For example, if the last time you were in a season of journey is more than five years ago, if the things coming out of your mouth are exactly what they were for the last 15 years, if you haven't had any significant discoveries or breakthroughs, if nothing fascinates you, keeps you up at night, contemplating, then maybe it's time to get broken loose. Maybe there's a little bit too much certainty in your heart that you know. I know God. I know the Bible. I know the gospel. One day, (laughs) one day I just kind of had this feeling, and the feeling was, I'm going to open my Bible and uh, enunciate clearly. I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to read it, and I'm already going to know what it has to tell me, 
And so I'm going to be reminded of some things. And this just little feeling of contentment that's bad caught me off guard. And I thought, I don't want that. So I said, Father, can you just show me something I don't know? Tell me something I don't know. I don't know if you, what you expect God to do if you say something like that to him. But I didn't expect him to say what he did say. What would you expect him to do? Turn to First John chapter 3. You know, something like that. Or give me some Greek word from seminary that I'd forgotten. You know what he said? He said, squid. I said, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to go, we're going to learn about squid today. So I Google squid. I read the Wikipedia entry. Start reading other, other things. It raises other questions. I start reading other articles. Then I start on YouTube and I'm watching videos about squid. Crazy stuff, y'all. Cephalopods. Like an octopus, eight legs, but then two of those other things that they grab the food with. They have a beak, they have large eyes, huge brains, color-changing skin, swim with jet propulsion, come from tiny little all the way to the huge Humboldt squid and then some larger ones than that, live in any kind of a sea terrain that you can find. Really interesting creatures. Their color change, some of them are bioluminescent, meaning not only can they control the color of their skin, but they can actually make the skin glow. And how they sometimes do this is the underside of them will will radiate a light so that they can be camouflaged against the surface, which has obviously sunlight, right? And the top of them be matched to the shadows beneath them so that they're masked differently from above than below. Crazy. Terrifying hunters... Highly intelligent, in fact, Humboldt squid, which are the huge ones, have been observed hunting collaboratively as a team. So then I watched some wonderfully terrifying YouTube videos of, of, of divers who survived squid attacks. Their beaks are an anomaly. They're kind of like a parrot beak. They are incredibly stiff, hard, which is not brittle, and durable, which is they resist denting or breaking at all. In fact, humans don't have any polymers, and we haven't discovered any metals that have the unique properties of being light, strong, and hard in the way that a squid's beak is. One can effortlessly, Garth, bite through the thickest bone in your leg. No problem. Snap, now you have no leg. Yum. Terrifying, brilliant creatures. And there's more I could say about squid that I learned. But isn't that fascinating that when I say to the father, hey, tell me something I don't know. He just points to one tiny attribute. I mean, I was scratching the surface with my study of squid. So he just points to one tiny creature on the planet I'm aware of. I mean, I'd be shocked if when I get to heaven, this is the 
only planet with life on it. It would be incompatible and inconsistent with everything I know about God for that to be the case. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Since he saw fit to tuck life in every corner of this planet in ways that have nothing to do with our importance. Do you know what I'm saying? He's got life tucked away in the recesses of the deep oceans that we can't even hardly access. We're just beginning to. And obviously it wasn't there so that I would enjoy it. It was there so he could enjoy it. <laughs> right? Just like dinosaurs. He didn't make them for your benefit. He liked watching them eat grass for 65 million years. That's why I made them. He liked them. So sometimes there's that feeling of smugness or just the wrong kind of contentment that you know, that I know what I should know. And all it takes is just a little push, not a word of rebuke, but just a little push to break us out back into a season of discovery and journey. I remember growing up, and the smugness doesn't even make sense, does it? It's not even logical for a human to go through this experience called pride. You know what I mean? I think you don't really need biblical commands, don't be proud, if you're logical. Because pride is illogical. It doesn't even make sense. I remember growing up, there was a worship leader, by which I mean a song leader, and there was just something smug about him. Like, he felt he was incredible, and that we were lucky to have him, and God was blessed to have him as a kid. And he was kind of, it just seemed impressed with himself. And I thought, I mean, yeah, you can sing, and yeah, you can string together some chords in a, in a way that has rhythm. And I mean, yeah, you can be sensitive to what maybe God wants to do in a given song set. But, uh, dude, a bunch of the rest of us have musical gifts too, but none of us think we're like, does that make, do you know what, I, is that, am I making any sense? It's like, can you imagine if mom cooks a great meal and then you thank her? You spend the whole rest of the day in your room marveling over how incredible your thank you was? Man, my thank you was so anointed. She is so lucky to have me as a kid. Did you hear me say thank you? I was like, thanks, mom. And I said it, and when I said it, you could feel the holy hush at the table. And everyone else wanted to say thank you too. That's just who I am. I carry that. Dang, I'm awesome. And, some, and sometimes, we, like, the church feeds that kind of celebrity nonsense. We do it with preachers, too, where we're like, oh, my word, when that guy talks, it's the best thing ever. He can string together some words and make some sense for, for a few minutes. Like, that is not that impressive to me. You want to impress me? Make me a squid. Yeah, go ahead. I'll wait. Better yet, how about this? Live a sinless life of perfect love then die for the sins of the world, rise again, and then sit next to the Father in heavenly realms as Lord of all. Oh, you didn't do that yet? Okay, well, oh, so you're just you. Okay. Listen, I love you, but I'm not impressed with you. Like, I'm glad I'm me, but I'm not impressed with me. Are we tracking? Yes. And one of the things about keeping a curious heart, keeping a sense of wonder, keeping a sense of being awed at the gift of life, is it just takes us right out of that absurdity. I mean, when you're climbing Mount Everest, you're in awe. I mean, you wouldn't be climbing it if you weren't already in awe. And when you get to the top, you don't think to yourself, 
I conquered this mountain. You're thinking you barely survived this mountain. Now, I'm basing this on the reports of others. I have no intention of even trying that. But it's one of the things. It's, and why do people do crazy stuff like that? They want to feel a sense of awe. They want to experience something bigger than them. Something more beautiful. Something, something that makes them feel small. Something that makes them forget about themselves for a while. There's a cleansing, purifying attribute that happens with Bible faith. See, in Bible faith, is, is curious and inquisitive and open and on a journey. And, and I'm telling you, we don't, we don't need someone to tell us, it's not about you, it's all about God. When we're in a state of curiosity, inquisitive. Are we okay? <laughs> it's a weird day. Is that enough for today? Or should I keep talking? <laughs> Have I, do you get what I'm saying yet? Yeah. All right. So here's a question as, a, as kind of a, a homework assignment. I almost thought about having us break up in little, little groups. We do have five minutes. Would you be interested in doing that? <laughs> I got some yeses and I got a couple noes. <laughs> And it seems to go right according to introvert, extrovert. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, no, just don't even, don't go there. Well, then at least talk to me now. Um, Are you in a season of discovery right now? Are you in a season of doubt and questioning right now? I mean, because, and I didn't say this, but sometimes it's pain that sends us on a journey of having questions that that we can't help. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes it's success. Sometimes you get what you prayed for and it doesn't satisfy. And then you say, now what? I thought if I did this and then God did this, then it would be this way, but it's not. So it's not always delight sending us on a journey. Sometimes it's pain. But are you in a season like that now? And if you are, my question is, what are the questions that you're yearning to answer? Or what are the topics that are fascinating to you right now that you want to know more about and you're actively digging? That's the first question. second question is, if you're not in one of those seasons... When's the last time you were in one? And if we were going to do a little bit of a hearing God's voice kind of a question, it would be, what's the journey if, if, you, could, if you could let your soul talk to you? What's the journey you're avoiding What are the doubts you have you don't want to acknowledge? Or what are the questions you have you wish would go away? I said to the elders this week, sometimes 
the thing we most want to hear is the thing we least need to hear. And sometimes the thing we least want to hear is the thing we most need to hear. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say, what do I want to work on today? But the other day I woke up and I said, what's the thing I least want to work on today? So I crawled around underneath my crawl space and replaced a leaky spigot. And because I'm such a champ, I went ahead and took the spigot with me. That way I could have to come back out, give it to Carl, and then go back under a second time, crawling through the spider webs and the stink and the camel crickets and the smell of the cats that have snuck under there and urinated. Shall we keep going at the story? I was preaching a little sermon to myself called Why My Life Stinks. And additionally, the third part of the sermon, you don't get to know the second part. The third part of the sermon was we want perseverance. We want, we, we want persistence. We want adaptability. And this is how we get it. We do the stuff we hate to do. And we also ordered the siding that I melted with my grill like three years ago. And I've been going, I don't care about that. So what are the things we're avoiding? What are the journeys we're avoiding? What are the questions maybe our soul wishes we would be willing to ask? For me, there's some deep stuff that I don't even want to think about. Like, what, when did I stop being a dreamer and a builder? Because it was too painful to hope, too painful to try with your whole heart. Why am I so honest in church, but I struggle to be honest with my own journal? <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird world. You like these questions? Here's why it's dangerous. When you go on your journey, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, do you? You don't know where you're going to land. You don't know where you're going to end up. Recently, I had one of you tell me about a local pastor who has changed their theological views because they've gone on a journey. And they said, you know, I believe all this, but I could never talk about this in church because it would freak everyone out. I think I leaned over to Garth and said something about, like, I care about the environment. I believe in ecological responsibility as a biblical mandate. And I I said it in a holy hush like someone might beat me up if they find out that I care about the environment. He's a tree hugger. (laughs) Listen, I, I, I really do like trees. Is that so wrong? Genesis 2, baby. We were supposed to take care of the creation. It's part of our responsibility. I dump all this toxic garbage into the waterways and then say, whatever, we're in charge around here. We're the humans. You know? That's off point. But you don't know where you're going to go when you start going on this journey. You don't know what it's going to cost you if what you discover along the way isn't what the group or the tribe or your family believes or wants to allow you to believe And I've kind of had this weird policy. Everything I'm learning, I share with the church as I'm learning it. And you can see how that's worked out for me. It's been tough, hasn't it, Tim? Guys, there's a Holy Spirit. Woo! Well, I'm out of here. 
Guys, gender roles aren't exactly what I used to think. Well, I'm out of here. And so on and so forth. A bunch of different topics over the last 10 years like that. We keep on journey with Jesus. It's going to have a cost to it. But guess what else happens? Guess what else happens? You don't have a wide gap between your authentic faith and your public self. You get to be real in public. And you get to share a journey with some other people who are on their journey too. I've kind of opened a lot of cans here this morning on accident right at the end. And it would be typical of me to open those cans and then end the service, so we might as well go ahead with that. (laughs) Prayer team can come on up, and then I'm going to pray as well.